Hello, and welcome to the Hearn Him Podcast. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. Well, we are back. We are. We were gone for a while. Yes, a lot of life happened. There was a, like, remember Christmas? No. Like, that felt like it was a million years ago. I don't even know what we did. I'm sure we didn't do anything. I can't remember. You don't do much for Christmas in a global pandemic, do you? No. <laughs> or New Year's. Right. So Christmas. Oh, we were in bed by like 8.30. Oh, yeah. There's, there's no there's no need for us to stay up till midnight. No. We're not trying to catch midnight kisses and all the other things people want. No, I'll kiss you at 8.30 and then I'll go to bed. <laughs> exactly. Call it midnight. <laughs> and then after New Year's, there's some events that have happened. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, but we had acts of insurrection against our nation's capital perpetrated by Christian nationalists and white supremacists. That was an interesting Wednesday. an interesting Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we had a baby. Yeah, we had a baby. Both of our babies are sleeping right now. Hopefully. As we're recording, it's kind of a tenuous situation as to whether they're going to sleep throughout the entirety of this recording. So if you hear like some weird edits... It's probably because, like, a baby just came alive and lost his mind. Well, they're already alive, so they just woke from their slumber. Yeah. Which I wish I could be slumbering. <laughs> I see you got your, your black tea there, moment. so it's, yeah, it'll probably need, kick in by the time we're done recording. I need more. <laughs> I don't even think black tea has caffeine in it. I'm, in regards to me ever feeling like it has caffeine. I think it. it has caffeine. I don't know how much caffeine. Not enough. Neither does coffee. <laughs> I need something stronger. Like, you know, you're in trouble when the coffee like just didn't even touch you. When you're it. on your third cup for the day and it doesn't feel like And you still got all. like cobwebs in your brain. Yeah. I'm in bad shape right now. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, you look fantastic and we're glad that you're here. Well, you are lying through your teeth. Thank you. <laughs> So we had Christmas, we had New Year's, this is all since we went off the airwaves. We had an uh, insurrection, we had an impeachment. Uh, the impeachment trial hasn't started yet, but that is soon forthcoming, I think, sometime this week. And what else? We had, we're uh, still in a pandemic. We're still in a pandemic. We had a presidential inauguration. Mm-hmm. And just this last week, a bunch of people from the red si- website Reddit like crashed the stock market. Oh yeah, I was reading about that. I read it. I think I understand it sort of, but not really. And I feel like all the people who are in my social media feeds posting about it, I'm like, there's no way that they're that much smarter than me that they're understanding this. No, I don't understand it, but I've seen a lot of memes about it and I guess I understand it enough to laugh at the memes. Okay. And this so. isn't to say that the people in my feed aren't smart. But I, <laughs> if you're listening and you're in his feed, but this is I, what he really thinks about you. I don't know if they're that much smarter than me, <laughs> that their like, understanding is like that much higher. But maybe it's just one of those things. It's You understand it enough to laugh at it. Right. All we know is that like rich people are losing money. And if there's one thing that unites everybody is when rich people lose money. That's fair. But anyways, all that to be said, sorry we weren't here to comment on all of this the past six weeks or whatever. I'm sure everyone is so sad to have not heard our They've been like chomping at the bit. They're like, what do Dale and Tamra think about this? Yeah. And they keep like refreshing their podcast app, waiting to see 
if our, our wisdom is coming through, yeah, what do we think? <laughs> we have a lot of thoughts, and so there'll be a lot of podcasts to come. One of us more than others. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm a thinker. Yeah, you are. <laughs> it reminds me of the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse song. I think you're in a something, <laughs> something, something. That was so, like, anticlimactic. Like, I thought you were going to start. I think in a doer, mouse tour. Okay. There it is. Mouse me, mouse you, mouse doer. Yep. <laughs> oh, toodles. We are deep in Mickey Mouse Clubhouse during nursing sessions. Yeah, and this thing, just look up on YouTube, everybody. Bob the Train. Oh, no. Learning phonics. It is mind-numbing. It is mind-numbing altering like you go into an altered state of consciousness just yeah. due to the the repetition and the weird imagery but our son loves it he loves it and he sits still and he watches tv while i nurse and he doesn't try to attack titus and he doesn't try and give him really rough hugs and knock him out of my arms so bob the train for the win he does he tries to knock the baby out of your hands like like someone would would knock the the a basketball out of somebody's hand. Yeah, but he's genuinely just trying to hug him. Right. It's a it's a uh, it's a toxic kind of love, but it's it's love nonetheless. It is. Well, back to our podcast. We have sidetracked so much. Yeah, but what we're saying is like things are been crazy. While we've yeah. been dealing with our own craziness, the world has been dealing with ten different flavors of craziness, <laughs> and it's been crazy right. for like a really long time. Like the world shut down because of COVID. Back in March. March of 2020, yep. and here we are in February of 2021, still dealing with the pandemic. We've had economic crisis, a health crisis. We've had violence in the streets. We've had civil unrest due to instances of, of racism. We've had an insurrection on our nation's capital. We've had a, a, a conspiracy theory about the state of our democracy. We've just, it's just been crazy. It, it's been so crazy that people aren't even talking about like the new normal anymore. Remember like back when yeah. people were talking about the new normal in these uncertain times, the <laughs> new normal. No one's talking about the new normal anymore. We have just embraced abject chaos. Chaos. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it has a lot of people questioning, is this the end of the world? I've seen so many articles pop up in my feed from you know christian writers and you know christian uh you know media trying to grapple with this question like is all the things that we're seeing a sign that the end is drawing near yeah and i think it's a valid question because it feels like things continue to get worse and worse at least within the time frame of our lifetime it's hard to see Things that have been this awful since we have existed in terms of my 31 years of life. And so we lose perspective of all of history as we're just reflecting on the days that we're currently living in. And based on the days we're currently living in, it feels like things could not get any worse. So that must mean it's the end of the world. Yeah. In 2020, we're like, surely things can't get worse in 2021. In 2021, I was like, Hold up, wait a minute. Yeah. Hold my beer. Watch this. Yeah. And so people are just freaking out. And so in this podcast, we want to evaluate that question. Is the end near? Are we in the end times? Is the end coming? And really that's 
an important question for for us to discuss, not only to discuss the answer to that question, but to discuss the the question itself, because the questions that we're making on an existential level are revealing of the state of our souls. And I think Mm. this question is revealing we're feeling unstable, unsteady, unsafe. And so we want to talk a little bit about that. And we kind of want to hit three different things in this podcast. And uh, the first one is just take a look at what does the Bible say about the end of the world? The Bible actually has a lot to say about it. A lot of it gets really confusing, and we're going to you know, fly at a 35,000-foot level, which is kind of give some broad strokes to that. But like, what does the Bible say about the end of the world? Then we also want to talk about, and I, I don't know about everybody listening, but for me and for Tamara uh, individually, and for our generation, I think, if you're in your late 20s or if you're in your 30s or if you're in your 40s even, and you grew up in the church— why were our parents so obsessed with this? Like they, this is a, a fascination that people are talking about now. But I remember this being such a large part of the conversation of my childhood, being ready for the end times, watching the signs of the times. So we want to talk about like, why is that? Is that a good thing? Was it healthy? Um, kind of talk about our childhood trauma and uh, rapture anxiety. And then third, we want to talk about, you know, what, if any, are there indications that we are, in fact, closer to the end of the world in any tangible sense now more than we were, say, three years ago. I mean, inevitably, given the way time works, <laughs> we are closer. But Every in terms, year we're closer. In terms of sequence, mm-hmm. are, is something shifting to where now we're accelerating towards that? So is there, is there any indication, based on that first point, what the Bible says, that we're there, or are we no closer to that than any other year because we don't know when it's coming. Yeah. And to start this conversation, it's important that we look at scripture. And again, we're going to be looking at this with some pretty large brushstrokes. Like very large brushstrokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The largest paintbrush you can find. That's what we're going to be using because just like a push broom, you dip it in paint. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because there's just, a lot you can get into. And even as we look at it from a really general perspective, it still might get a little bit confusing because that's just the nature of the topic. Because we don't actually know every small detail and we don't know play by play how it's going to go. So because of that, there's a lot of different views. um, But we want to just look at what is it that most evangelical theologians would agree on? Yeah, and really it's just breaking up phases of yes. things, like a chunk here, a chunk there, a chunk there, the sequence of things, and there's a lot of variety and flavor in those things. And we're not going to quote all the scriptures because it's kind of pulling from a lot of different things and mm-hmm. synthesizing them, but there's some passages in Matthew, in the latter half of the book of Daniel, Revelation, First uh, Thessalonians, that's where we see our, the only reference to the word rapture, that we will be caught up in the clouds and and meet Jesus. So we're not going to reference all those things, but we're just kind of synthesizing this at a theological level and kind of, I guess, describing the concepts and the phases. Yeah, and so the study of kind of the end of the world is known as eschatology, which in Greek comes from the word eschaton, which just means last or end. So eschatology is just the study of the end or the study of last things. Uh, And so currently we are in the church era, 
if you were to draw out a timeline of beginning of creation into the end, from what we understand, we are currently in the church era. Yeah, so that red star, you are here. Jesus came, Jesus ascended, (laughs) you are here. You are here in the church era. (laughs) So in case you were wondering where you are on the timeline. And that's kind of a... It's very broad. Nondescript measure of time because it's been like 2,000 years. Since... Yeah. Since that was inaugurated. Since the church yeah. era. Exactly. And um, so kind of after that, what we understand is that there's going to be a seven-year tribulation, which this is described in several places in Scripture. Uh, Matthew, Revelation, Daniel certainly has some elements that talk about the seven-year tribulation. Um, and so some think that the rapture, which Dale had referenced where we will be caught up into the clouds. If you are a believer, you'll be caught up into the clouds with Jesus. That the rapture is going to happen at the beginning of this seven-year tribulation. And not everybody believes that, but there there is certainly a large theological view that the rapture will happen at the beginning of those seven years. And then in that seven years, a lot of really terrible, awful, bad things are going to happen. Yeah, and at the center of that, this figure will emerge that who's referred to as the antichrist mm-hmm. within he, those seven years yeah and he'll come to power and there'll be kind of this unification of world governments and he'll basically be in control of things and halfway through that he'll commit something called the abomination of desolation which i don't know what that means but it sounds real scary yeah but some people think that's gonna he's gonna do that at the end of the seven years oh do they mm-hmm Oh, okay. I mean, it's hard because there's so many offshoots of these understandings of the sequence of events. And so some think the Antichrist will come towards the middle and some actually think this actual event of the abomination of desolation will be towards the end of the seven years. Oh, okay. Then that'll happen directly before Satan is bound up. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we're already getting in the weeds of this. So seven years... There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be natural disasters. There's going to be violence against Christians. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be all kinds of gnarly stuff. And then this rapture, you know, if you watched Left Behind growing up, and we just leave our clothes behind, and Kirk Cameron goes on a mission after that, and you read all the 20 books and all that kind of stuff, that could either happen at the beginning of those seven years, which will kind of launch those seven years, you know, kind of demarcate those, whether there'll be some kind of three and a half year period, then there'll be some kind of rapture or there's others that think that that will happen at the end of those seven years. Yeah. Or kind of like not really at all in the left behind kind of a sense. Right. And so then after that seven year tribulation period will come the millennial reign. And some believe that's going to be a literal reign of Jesus coming back to earth and reigning in a bodily form as Jesus, obviously, <laughs> not as anyone else. He comes back as Bob. <laughs> Bob the train. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so Jesus will, some believe that the millennial reign will be a literal reign and some believe it'll be a figurative reign. Um, but there is this time period after the seven year tribulation that is this millennial reign of Jesus after all of the bad things happen. Yeah, so just to repeat it again, seven years, <laughs> bad stuff, Antichrist, 
Then at the end of that, Satan will be bound up for a thousand years. There'll be this thousand years of peace. Some think that Jesus will physically bodily be here. Some think he will not physically bodily be here. And others think that that thousand years, as described in Revelation, and Revelation is just very vivid with symbolism. They're saying that that was symbolic and not a literal thousand years. And then after that comes the, the eternal state. Yeah, the final judgment where mm-hmm. Satan is unbound. There's this kind of final showdown between Jesus and Satan. I don't want to ruin the end of the book for you, but Jesus wins. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. And then we enter the eternal state. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven literally comes to earth, and we're into that eternal, eternal state. Eternal life. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a lot of different variations mm-hmm. you can have. Because if you think the rapture comes at the beginning, you're pre-trib. If you think it comes in the middle, you're pre-wrath. think it comes at the end, you're post-trib. If you think that Jesus comes bodily at the beginning of the millennium, you're pre-millennial. Some are post-millennial. If you don't think it's a literal millennium, you're amillennial. So you could be yeah, like it... you could be like pre-wrath, pre-millennial. You could be like pre-trib, amillennial. Like you can have so, any kind of combination of those. Yeah, and so really, what there is that it's very clear in Scripture in terms of any kind of a timeline that we can put together is that there's there's this marking or this coming of a seven-year tribulation. Then there's this millennial reign. And then after that is the eternal state. So there's these three events. Now, how those are going to happen, what's going to happen within them, what is our place as Christians, what is the place of non-Christians, how will Jesus be there, will he be in bodily form, will it be symbolic, like what will all of the factors be, we don't exactly know. But we do know that scripture points out these three events. And so depending on your denomination or your theological view, you can understand these three events in different ways. Yeah, and I would even demarcate out the the judgment showdown period mm. after the millennium and before the okay. eternal state. Because a, that's a, no, you're a right. key event yep. that happens there that precipitates that. Yeah. I guess in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's just like a one day, a one hour thing. One like, it's just like, <laughs> like I just, just got to do this, this one day commitment and then <laughs> eternity. Like we got, you know, because the marker is like a seven year tribulation, the millennial reign, and then the eternal, like. The, right. We're talking about large chunks of right, time. You're like one you're day. Like, like one man. day Jesus is going to just take down Satan completely. Total victory. <laughs> right. Duh. It's not even going to take a day. <laughs> but, but you're right. But you we can should knock definitely... that out in like half a day before lunchtime. <laughs> Sorry, I'm running on very limited sleep. I apologize right. for the way that I don't make sense. Right. But in the end, these are really the large brushstrokes that we wanted to talk about, and just to make sure we're all on the same page mm-hmm. for this podcast and going into it and going into the topic. So and don't ask dive. us any more questions yeah. because we don't know the answers. And if we're being honest, like there are people who have answers that are a lot smarter than us, but even their answers are very highly educated guesses. Right. Yeah. And because- I emphasis on the very highly educated because <laughs> you could really do a deep dive mm-hmm. in this stuff, but it's a subject to interpretation. It is. You just have and, to wait and see, you know. And a large part of that is because of the style of literature of where we see a lot of this information come from in regards to especially Revelation and Daniel, those being apocalyptic styles. I mean, pieces of Daniel, but certainly Revelation. 
So because of the style of literature that you see in the book of Revelation, it's a little bit more difficult to know. Is this symbolic? Is this literal? Is this actually going to be a seven-year thing with X, Y, and Z happening? Or is this more symbolic of something else? Yeah, and I've seen people like do the math on this and that. I'm like, wow, like you're right. you're really getting into it. And I, I'm you're losing me because I'm not like tracking anymore. So maybe I'm just not smart enough to this well, of all my my theological expertise, end times is by far, like far and away mm-hmm. my weakest area of theology. Well, and it's because it's difficult. I don't think that Revelation was written for us to sit down with a group of mathematicians and try and figure out the exact day because it says we will not know the day or the time. And the book of Revelation wasn't written for us to try and decipher and to uncode what is the end times going to look like or when is that day coming. Obviously, we've seen people predict it and they have been wrong every single time because we are all still here. And they were doing that even in the days of the yeah. Apostle Paul in, in his letters they to were the Thessalonians. Trying to, yeah. They were trying to uncode the scriptures and figure out what was happening. And that is not the purpose for those letters. Yeah, but the fact of the matter is, because this is fascinating, and because it's so deep, and you can dive so deep, it's easy to see how you could get a little bit obsessed, and just really in the weeds of this. And strangely enough, our parents' generations, the baby boomers, it seemed like an entire generation was really in the weeds of that. And so for us growing up in the church, it was a it was a weird deal. It was a weird deal having a, a sense of existential dread baked into your church experience. Yeah, and a lot of that was popularized because of the Left Behind series. So I read the teenage version and the adult version because that's how entrenched I was. How in... many books were there in the adult version? No, was it like 10? I don't remember the the youth version was longer because the books were smaller. So in terms of how many books, it was more books, but they were shorter. But those adult books were massive. They were novels. Each <laughs> each one was like hundreds of pages. And I actually went through them with my mom. And we had several discussions with me as a young teenager and her explaining to me that I needed to be prepared for the end times and if it happens where the rapture comes and I'm left behind, I better not take the mark of the beast. I have to be willing to get my head chopped off. And I had actual nightmares of one, getting my head chopped off because I knew that's what I was supposed to do. And two, (laughs) accidentally taking the mark of the beast. Like what if I didn't know what I was doing and I accidentally agreed to something and I didn't agree to get my head chopped off. Like, yeah, you know, I've never read a contract that I've signed before. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly yeah when you click yes to the terms and service for apple yeah watch yourself could be taking the when mark you're of the signing beast. your escrow papers <laughs> <laughs> if ever there was a document i didn't read yeah i mean i read more of it than you did but i tried like the first three pages and then i was like i don't get this i was boring. afraid of getting the mark of the beast by signing those escrow papers so i made sure to read them <laughs> my childhood trauma is coming back to haunt me <laughs> yeah but, like, and we yeah. don't even have a bank account because yeah. you can't buy or sell with a bank account yeah where does it go well it's just, we don't use apple pay right well it just is so scary because i just grew up with this fear of the end times and everything that was going to happen because it just sounded so terrifying even for me as a christian 
I was terrified. And again, I think that was popularized because of the Left Behind series. But I also think there was a lot of popularity on the topic for our parents' generation because of Calvary Chapel. Mm -hmm. And Calvary Chapel is still very popular. Um, But I did not attend a Calvary Chapel church. But the things they were teaching and the focuses that they had with, you know, the news headlines and how did this equate to what we see in scripture, that was happening in my church too. And we were not a Calvary Chapel church. Yeah, it was interesting uh, even seeing like broadcasts by Chuck Smith where he would just read off the headlines of what was going on in Israel or in the Middle East. And then he would just start quoting Ezekiel and Daniel. And I don't remember anything super specific about that. But looking back, I'm, I'm thinking like, oh, well, maybe we were just kind of cherry picking some stuff. Yeah. I think because there was just kind of this idle fascination with it that it was just something interesting to talk about. And I think that's why for our parents' generation, it was just something to talk about. It was something to have Bible study classes over, hmm. go to seminars, you know, cassette tape series yeah. that you would listen to or, you know, watch on a VHS and discuss and like, ooh, and like really dive deep into it. I think that was part of the privilege of just the the generation that, that came up in such prosperity where, you know, you could graduate school and buy a house with a job that you got right out of school. You know, college Imagine. was like 25 cents a <laughs> class or something like that. We yeah. didn't have the student debt problem that we have mm. now. There was, there was economic growth and... It, it it was a time of prosperity, and now you look at you know later generations where we have crushing student debt. I mean, even for our generation, like just think about if you're in your early 30s, you were in like elementary school or middle school when 9/11 happened. That was a formative event, mm-hmm. and the world changed after that. It did. Then you think about 2008. You're like graduating high school into college. The world economic system just utterly collapses. Mm-hmm. And then you, you're, you know, getting into your 30s, and then there's a global pandemic. I mean, just our life, you know, once every decade or so, there's some Something kind of major catastrophic event. Yeah. And the economy has not continued on, you know, everything up and to the right the way it had been going for the past, you know, however many decades before that. This is actually a time where our generation is kind of like the first time that our economic wealth as a generation will not surpass that of our parents. Hmm. And so it had been that trend, and that trend has kind of stopped. And so we look back at our parents and like, like, we're just worried about like finding somewhere to live and paying off our student debt or finding a job when you're, you know, you're underemployed or whatever. When I think when all those things were taken care of, this is something interesting to kind of talk about. And so I think part of the reason why there was that obsession was that. I think the other one is that they were also brought up in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s where there was really a revolution in our culture, a moral revolution, a sexual revolution, revolution of what kind of economy we should have, just all these different ideas. And kind of the church's response in the midst of that was A, to hold the line, but also B, I think was to preach a lot of judgment. And when you talk about the end times and the final judgment, Mm. that kind of got baked into that conversation as well. Well, that makes sense. I, and that rings true to a lot of the styles of evangelism that was happening then. I mean, the types of questions that people were being asked and they it worked. If you died today, where would you go? Yeah. Where would you go? That Why question... would you go there? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> okay. I think that those questions worked 
for other generations, but they certainly don't work now. Right, they were the, effective in their time. They were, mm-hmm. absolutely. But culture has shifted yet again, as it does always. And the, that style and that way of evangelizing didn't work. And in the same way, the topics that were pressing on people's minds, such as figuring out when the world's going to end, uh, I don't think they're as pressing in our minds now because of the shift in culture and the shift in, in the way that life is happening versus the way that it happened in, in the generation that came before us. Right. So what, if any, indication do we have that we are sequentially closer to the end Is there anything that's like, hey, we're turning a corner and things are about to accelerate? I think when we look to scripture, we see Jesus describe it as these birth pangs and these labor pains. And I can relate. We know what those are like. (laughs) Uh, Just a side note on that. I remember for about the, the week before Titus was born, I was like, I don't know. Is it happening? Is it not happening? I don't. I'm not. I'm not super sure. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. And so I guess I can kind of understand mm-hmm. a yeah. little bit better our concern of, is the end here? Is it not here? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I felt something there. Is that it the kind end of... of the world or I just have gas? I don't know. <laughs> just give it a few minutes. We'll see. <laughs> well, there was like that, that was a cramp or was that a contraction? Like those are two different things and I'm not certain what it was. But one thing I will say about labor is when the day finally came, there was no question. I was like, Dill, these are legit contractions. It I was now, 2 a.m., by the way. It was 2 a.m. It, oh, it's always like the <laughs> middle of the night. Can you just come at like 0800 or like at lunchtime? Something? No, because then I'd be hungry. So I'm happy he didn't come at lunchtime. Actually, he did, technically. Titus Eventually, was born yeah. He, at 12 o'clock. Yeah. Anyways, back to <laughs> Jesus's description of the end times, you know, these birth pangs and labor pains happening before it, it comes. So I think we're certainly seeing that now. I think we can say we are in a time period where we're seeing the labor pains, the birth pangs, but how long are we going to be? The eschatological Braxton Hicks. Exactly. How long are we going to be feeling those? I don't know. I don't know if we've actually seen a a more significant turn than before. But we're not seeing anything more drastic than other parts of the world have been seeing for quite some time. And it is within human nature to view things through our own experience. And so as Americans... We are now seeing this chaos that we're not used to, where if you look to... The rest of the world's like, welcome to the party. Right. Where, I hope you enjoyed your <laughs> yeah. couple of centuries of Just prosperity. Like social unrest and political unrest, that is not foreign to other parts of the world. That's their normal existence. And so for us as Americans to experience what we've been experiencing, and even just the pandemic and the drastic number of deaths that we're seeing from a pandemic that is not abnormal to other parts of the world and so for us as americans it might feel as if the end of the world is ever present but for other parts of the world this has been happening for quite some time for them and so i think it's important for us to just keep that in perspective to keep the rest of the world into perspective because the end of the world is happening for the whole world. It's not just happening for America. And so we need to evaluate what's happening globally and weigh that against scripture versus what is happening in my immediate worldview, if that makes sense. Right. 
because a lot of the things that are described in Revelation as being part of this kind of end of the world situation, where there's like massive natural disasters, whether it's disease, the instability of governments, you know, you look in South America or in African nations and just the the impotence of official governments where places are run by warlords and drug lords. It's been going on for a really long time. There are places in the world today where if you're a Christian, you will literally be beheaded. Right. And so those people probably have even more warrant to ask is the end of the world mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. But it's been going on for such a long time. And I think even back to like World War One, World War Two, I think a lot of people ask this question then too. Because when you're talking about worldwide deaths in the millions, talk about the Holocaust and even just the, the death toll of the war, even outside of the Holocaust – that, that six to eight million people that died there, that really caused a lot of people to question it then. But here we are 70 years later. We, we, we're still here. Um, and so I think it's a, a natural question to ask whenever things get really bad. And I think the response, though, shouldn't necessarily be one of fear like it was when I, we were kids. Like this is always like a it, – it was like an existential dread because we're in times of prosperity and it's talking about – how all these evil things are going to come, all these awful, horrible things are going to come. But I think now we're we're in the midst of a lot of evil, horrible things. The the hope of redemption is is really the pull of what all of those apocalyptic texts and prophetic texts have been trying to point us to. Right. And especially living in the climate that we're living in, to be the Christian who's like, oh, this is just the beginning of how awful it's about to get. Don't you wait. Judgment is coming. That's not what scripture was trying to point to. Certainly, we cannot overlook the judgment of God and the wrath of God. That is true in scripture. We see it. We read about it. But what we continue to see is as we hear about the judgment of God, we also hear about this offer of redemption for people, this offer of salvation out of his love for the people he created. Yeah. And so as Christians, we we need to have the same message that Jesus has. A message of hope. <laughs> not just, not doomsday I was waiting for it. Time. I was like, which is? <laughs> Gee, I wonder. Yeah, I think in certain regards, we overemphasize this conversation in the sense of like, the kind of almost like horoscopy kind of, predictions we're trying to make and the nitty-gritty of like this and that we overemphasize that and we underemphasize the victory and the call to faith and hope in Jesus mm-hmm. and we more are just stuck on kind of the dark stuff i think too also the way we weaponize fear mm. and we use eschatological language i think in particular when we're talking about our partisan politics like i've already seen posts online of people calling joe biden the antichrist really like could joe biden be the antichrist that happens every time there's a democrat in office right because obama was the antichrist no one was saying that about trump and now we're saying it about biden right and (laughs) it's just yeah it's just interesting that it just happens every time there's a Democrat in office. Yeah. They're always the Antichrist. It's going to be the end of the world. All the babies are going to get killed. All your rights are going to get taken away. It's going to be Sharia law. The end is coming if mm. this person gets elected. 
which is, you know, a fear tactic to get you to vote for the other side so that the end doesn't come. Well, and you don't to elect say the that the president of the United States is the Antichrist is to not ex- exactly understand how the Bible describes the Antichrist. Right. It's ahistorical and it's just bad theology. Right. Because in in the descriptions of the end of the world, or in the world in general, in the Bible, like there's no reference made to America, let alone like the Western Hemisphere in any specific yeah. way. And the Antichrist is going to have this global influence in a way that even the president doesn't have right now. Right. Yeah, so I think it's helpful to zoom back out. Like before you hyperventilate and start breathing into a brown paper bag, like zoom out a little bit and realize that this kind of stuff is happening all the time. And yes, the end is coming. Yes, it's closer today than it wasn't yesterday because as we said earlier, that's how time works. (laughs) But I don't think we have to live in existential fear of that and we shouldn't live in existential fear of that because that was the point of when we were told in scripture what was coming was so that we would not fear but that we would be focused in our faith we would be focused in repenting and turning towards jesus and encouraging others to do the same and to bringing about that you know those those spots of redemption that we will see in full was never supposed to be about fears about calming our fears and so if we're weaponizing it then we're we're missing the point and if we're telling our kids, like, be good or you're going to get left behind and you're going to be hanging out with Kirk Cameron and nobody wants that. Like, we are not understanding the the point of the story. Right. And going back to you talking about weaponizing fear and the, even the way that us Christians view the end of the world, there is this sense of fear that seems to be alongside it as we're trying to figure out when it, when it's happening. And I think our focus ends up in the wrong place because we're so caught up trying to figure out, is it here? Is it here? Is it here? Instead of having this pressing sense of time so that we continue to share Jesus, we end up having this pressing sense of time that, oh no, the end is coming and I'm afraid of that versus the end is coming and I need to get moving. Like I'm on a mission that Jesus has set me out on because that's, what he's done for every Christian. Yeah. And so we need to have that time clock running in our minds, certainly. Like, don't pretend it's not going to happen and just ignore it. But allow that to then push you forward in the mission of Jesus and sharing his hope with others rather than you trying to guess, is it here? Is it here? Oh, no. The world is going, oh, what is that saying? It's going to hell in a handbasket, which I don't understand what that means. But I hear it that all the time people it's like, going to hell but it's like accessorizing oh <laughs> but people people say that, oh no the world's going to hell in a handbasket it's well, like, well it's been going to hell in a handbasket been... for as long as it's been <laughs> in existence right and as christians we don't feed into that we're like no there's hope it do- like not everyone needs to go to hell in a handbasket mm-hmm. like we actually can share the news of jesus and we can actually tell you like there is another way Instead of sitting in our rocking chairs, sipping on our sweet tea, wondering why the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And that's the thing. Like, again, zooming back out. Like, in world history, things get better, and then they get worse. And then they get better, and then they get worse. And then they get better, and then they get worse. And that's just the way it's always been, and that's the way 
frankly, it's always going to be. And that isn't to say that we shouldn't try to be the generation that makes it better because each of us is tasked with this life as long as it is given to us to bring about redemption, to show the way of Jesus in our individual lives, you know, with regard to our personal piety, but also in our public life with regard to our communities and our cities and our nations, bringing redemption into those that's fueled and powered and informed by who Jesus is, but also not having too much of a sense of self-importance. Like that this moment, though important, is not the only moment in the time. The timeline is long. And so, yes, we want to steward this generation. We want to do everything we can to bringing about a patch of hope and a, and a bright patch into that and even where we have influence to shift culture towards what Jesus values. But I think also just kind of, you know, be faithful with the, the life that we have and be content with that and then being willing to die and be forgotten and then entrust it to the next generation. And if Jesus comes back in our generation now, then great. But if he doesn't, he's eventually going to come. But we just got to be faithful with each next step that we have and not living in that kind of fear of that rapture anxiety. Yeah, and so we don't need to get bogged down in the details that cause us to live in this sense of despair and anxiety. Because once we're down that road, we've gotten off course. We've gotten off course from what we're supposed to be doing. And we just need to be reminded of that hope that comes from Jesus. Because like you already spoiled the end of the story for us, Jesus has already won. And we have to we have to know that. We have to stand in that. And we have to live in that. And that needs to be our constant mindset, not this sense of despair. Because everything that is broken in the world will be mended. And we will live in in eternal peace because Jesus has won. Yeah. And I think one last note, because we're kind of bashing on like getting deep in the weeds of this. I think it's okay to get in the weeds of it. I mean, there's, there's thick books that you can read. There's, I mean, there's, there's nothing bad about studying scripture, right. And trying to understand it more and the sequence of things and the different views and the theology. Like we studied a lot of that, but always to keep in mind the end of the story and the point of the story and not lose sight uh, you know, of the forest for the trees. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. Also be sure to head over to our website, herandhim.com, and you can get show notes for this episode, read our blogs, and other helpful resources. We'd also love to hear from you, so you can email us at herandhimblog at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we will see you next time. Well, the physician comes in and says, tells this lovely couple, hey, your son's not going to make it. But there's a young girl here in the hospital who just delivered a baby girl and she's given her up. She's going to leave her here. Do you want her instead? That was chart topper Ryan Stevenson sharing a personal testimony on The Walk, a podcast for worshipers. Join us weekly to hear artists, songwriters, worship leaders, filmmakers, and other creatives tell their stories in the form of a devotional. The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast platform.